I did want to say, like, I was looking, and this is completely off, uh, but I was looking at the best supporting actors for yeah. the year. I don't know if I don't know if Heath Ledger loses to any one of these guys. Josh Brolin in Milk, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder, oh, Philip Seymour <laughs> Hoffman in Doubt, and Michael Shannon in Revolutionary Road. I don't think he loses to any one of them, even if he had. Lived. I'm saying he uh, never would have been nominated. Ooh, I I I, I, I disagree really? with that. I disagree really? with that too. I, I think he will for sure would have gotten nominated. I don't know if he would have won, but yeah. I, I still think he would have won because looking at those performances, I don't think there's any performance that even comes close to Heath Ledger's. All right. Among those five. Right. Agree to disagree. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Always the Critic podcast, formerly the I Have a Movie Pass podcast. My name is Rico Alberison. Today, we are doing a special Rewind episode where we take a look back at some of the classic movies that have influenced us and that we enjoy watching. If you're on social media, don't forget to follow us at AlwaysCriticPod. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using that handle. If this is your first time listening to the show, or you've already listened to a few episodes, don't forget to subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other podcast platforms. All right, enough chit-chat. Let's go ahead and get started on today's review on the Always the Critic podcast. Where do we begin? A year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. Here's my card. Bruce, this is Harvey Dent. Rachel's told me everything about you. I certainly hope not. You once told me that we'd be together. Did you mean it? Bruce, don't make me your only hope for a normal life. You're Alfred, right? That's right, sir. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? Oh, you have no idea. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Well, hello, beautiful. You look nervous. I've seen now what I have to become to stop men like him. The night is darkest just before the dawn. And I promise you, the dawn is coming. And here we go. Go. Welcome to a special rewind episode of the Always the Critic podcast, where we take a look back at some of the movies that have big influences on us and we enjoy watching. Uh, joining me today, uh, as always, Jessica Furby. Hey, guys. And also joining us today is Daniel Brigham. Why so serious? Hey. And we're starting, <laughs> as you may have guessed, uh, we are going over The Dark Knight. It is the 10th anniversary of this movie. Um there's so many thoughts to go, but let's just get started. Uh, Jessica, let's start with you. Uh, what was, do you remember your first experience watching this movie? Or, you know, what are some general thoughts of the movie you had? So, unfortunately, I don't remember seeing this movie <laughs> or the first time that I saw it and what that experience was. But I do remember that I left the theater and I was like, oh, my God, that was really good. And I just felt that it was a really strong movie and I liked it much better than Batman Begin. Okay. Um, I think that I didn't appreciate the the nuance of it and the screenplay, like how strong the actual lines are and things like that. I think I was more into the technology part of it and um, just general excitement because the Joker was in it, but nothing, nothing like how I feel today, like rewatching it um, after so many years. So um, no bad, no bad things to say. It's excellent. <laughs> that 
good to hear. Uh, how about uh, you, Daniel? How how do you feel about the uh, Actually, I remember watching it. I was at the Science Center in Fort Lauderdale, the IMAX theater. I was like, mm. what, to have this movie in IMAX? Um, so I had to watch it there. I It had me from the start because that opening sequence with just the high mm-hmm. sequence, I was yeah. just like, what the heck is this? We're starting off like this? And then just the way they unveiled Joker in that whole scene, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this movie. I didn't know what to expect coming from Batman Begins, which I really enjoyed. Um, and I thought Batman Begins was a good origins story movie. But this one was way different. Just the overall story and how it was told, it had me just completely completely in awe of the whole thing and of course just the oh man i love heath ledger's joker um every time he was on screen i just i wanted more (laughs) i just like can just stay on the screen i don't i don't care whatever throw something batman here give me more joker but yes that's i walked out of that movie um just loving it yeah i mean it's a very impactful movie for me i'm a huge batman fan uh since i was a little kid uh i remember uh, leading up to the movie, like all the rumors swirling, oh, the Joker's going to be in it and everything. And like so many like casting what ifs. Like I remember Robin Williams' name was thrown out there what? and Steve Carell. Yeah. Like th- these were names that were being thrown out there. And then when the studio announced Heath Ledger, a lot of like, you know, fanboys were kind of like gawking back like what he's not even funny that was like the number one comment <laughs> was that he wasn't even funny but uh now we see how that turned out um i remember seeing this movie for the first time i was in boston i was spending a summer up there and we got midnight screening tickets for the boston common lowe's theater nice. it, 19 screens 18 of them were showing the dark night at midnight wow um the one lone screen was for uh, some counter uh, programming Mamma Mia uh, at that time. I remember it was it was fantastic. So uh, we got there pretty early because there was no assigns. And I remember that when we got in around 10, the everybody, all the ushers and everything were just saying, if you have a ticket for Dark Knight, just choose any screen. It doesn't matter which one. Wow. You're all at 12 o'clock. So me and my brother like are searching for the biggest screen possible, which we end up fi- finding and good seats and everything and i remember this movie had me hooked i got out of that screening like at about like 2:45 in the morning and i was just on this adrenaline high it like i it was everything i wanted and more mm-hmm. uh in 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 a movie and so that's something that i really really uh just come to grips with is something really big for me um now this movie had a huge influence i think on the comic book genre yeah i, I agree uh, and uh, there's there's some good and there's some bad on the influence. And I think uh, the number one thing that everybody will mention is that this movie spawned this whole gritty reboot uh, mm-hmm. thing that uh, <laughs> uh, we experience with any type of movie you can think of. If there's a reboot, it's going to be gritty. It's going to be moody. Um, and I think that's the problem with these movies right now. Yeah. They they're way too into their deep dark emotions and they're they're no fun Mm -mm. yeah not fun at all um of course it brought batman's voice uh people making Mm -hmm. fun of it (laughs) yeah (laughs) as they should as they should as they should (laughs) yeah it's pretty bad like um as the movie progresses like when like he's fatigued that voice is just yeah. Almost, you can almost not even tell what he's saying. Uh, it, it's not great, uh, but I think the biggest thing that that came from from this was the Joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For uh, sure. The the performance that Heath Ledger brought, and you can compare his performance and what that has done for the comic book genre. That everybody compares the villain in a comic yes. book movie to mm-hmm. Joker. To Joker, exactly. Yeah. And uh, for good or for bad, because it's almost unfair to compare what Ledger did in that movie, what Malekith did in Thor Dark World, you know, mm-hmm. like one of the worst villains Marvel Marvel has. And Marvel has that problem, I feel. Right. And here, here's the thing about Joker, too. It's like it wouldn't his character. I mean, even how Pete Ledger did wouldn't work against like even that type of character wouldn't work against any other hero. 
Like it's he's certainly Batman's antagonist. Like there's no one else. Like you, you put him against anybody else, it doesn't make any sense. Like his character is like he's the opposite. Yeah, he of stands for everything that Batman is against. So. Yes, and I think that's what makes at least Batman in general like such a hero that most people like is because his his enemies for the most part you know are so great his rogues gallery is amazing but the joker in particular um just is toe-to-toe with him the two they're two sides to the mm-hmm. same coin mm-hmm. uh, which <laughs> we'll get into <laughs> uh, now what are your thoughts on his performance i'll start with uh danny because i know you touched on it it's a great performance uh but some of the maybe nuances of his performance i didn't know what to expect when i when they first announced Heath Ledger, I'm just kind of like, I don't know if he can pull this off. Like, this is a mm-hmm. this is a big role. Like, I didn't know what to expect. And the first time you see him on screen, I was engaged from from then on out. I'm just like, okay, this is not like I was. It was like that's not Heath Ledger that I know. Mm-hmm. This is something completely different. Like, yes, I know that's the person that's Heath Ledger, but no, he embodied what Joker is. And I was just like, what's happening right now? And just his take on how he decided to go over the joker because it's definitely different from past jokers mm-hmm. um it was it was mesmerizing just just and it felt real like his mm-hmm. character felt like he was someone that would fit in this world for real obviously it's you know it's a, it's a superhero movie but his you could see like his how logical he is mm-hmm. you know in his thinking um and throughout the whole the whole movie just seeing how he um, just goes throughout the movie. Like, why? What's his thought process? Why is he doing this? Why is he choosing to do all of this? And um, you know, it's it's to <laughs> first of all defeat Batman, but also to see him burn and see show Gotham his true colors, um, and just the way he does it. Like the whole scenes with him. And I think Jessica, we were talking. We talked last night how he looked like he was imp- improvising a story. About the why, why so serious? Oh no, he, yeah, his um, the story about his scars. Um, obviously, like I didn't pay much attention to this. I was watching, but I was not paying attention until we recently rewatched it. And yeah, every time, I mean, he first says his story to the gangster, the in the mob that he eventually kills. But he, the way he like looks up at the ceiling and kind of and kind of you know turns his head in such a way, you're like, I'm like, oh my god, he's making it up as he goes along. He's lying mm-hmm. every time he tells the story. You want to know how I got these scars? My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night, he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy gets the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit and you just it's so fluid and it's so subtle that i mean i didn't get it until right now I'm like watching him so closely and he's like just hamming it up right like heath ledger is hamming it up as the joker and yeah improvising this story that is his origin story you know what i'm saying like that yeah that's well, the yeah. origin story, and he lies every time. Yeah, it's a different story. We never hear the truth. Yeah. Yeah, no one really knows how he got the scars. And I think what's really cool, too, is that um, Hans Zimmer, the music at that point, it was like, I think uh, you said it, Rico, it was it was D and C, the two notes, which is DC. <laughs> yeah. It was just going back and forth and just getting escalated higher and higher and higher. And just like, what is, what's going to happen? It just builds. It just builds that tension anytime he's on oh screen. Gosh, like it just—it's like a forward momentum of just tension that just keeps building and building anytime he's on mm-hmm. screen. And it's an amazing thing that he did. Uh, actually, he—I know a lot of people talk about method acting. He really yeah. dove into this performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he locked himself away for a month before filming to really get nuances and ticks down. Wow. Uh, so he could like really perform in it. Um, a lot of people say that this performance kind of, you know, left him in a very dark place that kind of led to his eventual passing, uh, before the movie came, uh, out now, obviously it's a great performance, but do you, and I'm asking either one of you, do you think that 
because of the lead up, because there was so much talk about his death and people talking about the performance, do you think that that swayed yes. how people viewed the performance? Yes, definitely okay. at the time. I think that it was a major factor in how people viewed the movie and viewed his performance because it was such a shock running through everyone mm. that, oh my God, he just died. He's so young. Um, you know, talking about Michelle Williams and his child and the circumstances around his death and you know, it just hyped up his performance a lot more. And I think that's eventually why he got the Oscar nod, right? Or he, 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 he actually won, won the Oscar mm-hmm. for Best Supporting yeah, Actor. Yeah. Yes. I think that wouldn't have happened had he been alive. Um, however, I think that hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, that's how I feel now. But at the time, I was like, you know, this is a great performance. And even now, 10 years later, we're talking about it again. It's just mm-hmm. it's magnificent. It's really good. Um, you know, Danny mentioned that he didn't see Heath Ledger in the performance. And that was a conscious decision because we've seen Heath Ledger do a lot of stuff and in various genres. And we never saw him go through this sort of transformation, not just physically. And it's it's only makes the movie so much better i do want to touch really quick on the villain in batman begins because i think this also plays up how good he is Heath ledger is in the dark knight because the villain in the first one was um cillian liam Liam neeson and cillian murphy who kind of turns the island of manhattan into like an insane asylum with his with his um concoction or whatever yes that is very much a comic book villain and Ra's al Ghul yes. is very much a comic book villain even with all of his um, you know not priorities even with all of his um, agendas and speeches and like all of that um, I think he's necessary for the origin story and I think that's what drags down Batman Begins is that ultimately it's an origin story and he's still learning to be Batman still learning what he stands for and Razogul sharpens him up and that's where we leave right but that villain doesn't compare at all to a villain like Joker especially the one that's portrayed by Heath Ledger who is so equally matched to Batman yeah yeah because in in this movie we see Batman I would say at his physical peak Mm -hmm. like he is fully entrenched in Batman but you know mentally he's not prepared for what the Joker brings. The Joker brings an entire new element to trying to fight crime that Batman wasn't prepared mm-hmm. for. Batman was prepared for, I am going to beat villains to a pulp and try to rid the city of crime that way. But Joker came at it from a different angle. He was like, it's all psychological. It's all with the mm-hmm. mind. And that's how he challenged Batman. Batman wasn't ready. And I think, uh, again, that that leads into like perfectly how great of a villain he is just like you mentioned before as well now this movie does touch on it's an action movie of course and it's a comic book movie but i think uh what really makes this movie stand out is that this movie likes to dive into different themes Mm -hmm. and different uh philosophy and it's not something that you get a lot in comic book movies and i think that's something that jessica you noticed when we were re-watching it for sure um so there's definitely a lot of a lot of different themes and a lot of different um, competing theories on I think how humans approach life and how people will change their morality based on the situation that they're in. Um, so I think the first scene kind of gives us, you know, launches us into this whole discussion that the Joker brings up with just with his very existence. Um, so he's robbing the bank. You don't know it's the Joker in disguise and the banker that came out with a shotgun and they shot him he's lying on the floor and he's saying you know criminals used to abide by rules or there was a code and you know kind of ranting because these criminals have little to no 
similarities between other small time criminals who seem to be doing this for money. And that is ironic because they're robbing a bank. Um, yeah, there's a sense yeah. that in in at least in the world of the Dark Knight that these criminals all have at least a sense of yeah. code and like amongst mm-hmm. each other, yeah. you know, rules among thieves. And uh, this one group or this one person is disrupting mm-hmm. what is the status exactly. quo for Gotham yeah. City. Well, it goes that goes with the Joker. I mean, it goes with that whole thing that he doesn't abide by any rules. Exactly. He Even, breaks every rule, no. every convention. He throws chaos to this small bit of law and order that's within those that don't obey the law. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I thought it was cool also that Joker is killing off all of these people that are on the same team. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, which yeah. is, you know, crazy. It's really odd and unexpected it's crazy and that's the point of it right like he's it's not what you think it's going to be it's completely opposite he's breaking even the the convention or the thought that this criminal gang is going to stay together is going to be there for each other help each other uh you know do this all together we're all in this together didn't happen i think you, you you had a i mean you you had an interesting point about um, you know they're they're robbing the a bank, right? They're mm-hmm. doing something that you know that they they're for money, right? But yeah. he he really isn't. He's they are everyone in the heist thinks this is all for money. Yeah, but yeah. he's killing them all off, and he's just like, no, I'm not, I'm gonna steal the money, but it's not for me to use. Mm-hmm. It's to get the attention of yeah. all the mobsters in the in the city. Exactly. Yeah, that's his whole reasoning to yeah. just to start with that. That it's not know? about it's not about the money. And he no. even says that right. later. Right? Yeah. When he, when he burns he his half of the of the pile of money, it's like it's not about the money. I think it's a, it's a, a it's, it's about, about sending, sending a message. message exactly. Yeah. I think uh, the really big thing about that opening sequence and you know things turning into chaos is because we are programmed to when we go into a movie and we start seeing a heist or at least. The beginnings mm-hmm. of heist we think okay this is going to go here these people are going to try to make a exactly. getaway and when they start killing each other yeah. off it it throws mm-hmm. us in a spiral as an yeah. audience we're like whoa yeah what is going it's every on man here? for himself immediately immediately yeah. exactly and so that choosing of anarchy which is a huge theme throughout this movie uh joker sets it off from the very beginning and it changes what we expect as an mm-hmm. audience yeah yeah, for sure. Now, the Joker, you know, we talked at length already about the Joker, but I think there there's a reason to his uh, to his methods. There's there's a reason why he's doing all of this. And I would say it's because he is trying to prove a point. Mm-hmm. He is trying to show that humans will turn against each other for any variety of yeah. reasons. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that we're corruptible, that we're not worth saving. We're all in the same boat. And I think that he's also trying to give his own existence, his own mentality, some some credibility, because he's trying to prove that his freakishness, his everyone calls him a freak. It's, it's over and over. They call him, you're a freak, you're a freak. And he's trying to prove that he's not really a freak. Everyone is a freak when they're put in this in the right circumstances. Um, when they're forced to choose. And it's very true because uh, what happens throughout the movie, you start seeing uh, these criminals start getting desperate. They start getting into, mm. what do we mm-hmm. do? Uh, Batman's, you know, plucking us off here and there. And then here comes the Joker from the other side. And he's like, hey, I'm stealing your money and you got a problem with the Batman. Uh, how are you going to solve it? I can solve it for you. But um, every minute you wait, it's going to be less money for you. It's going to be worse for you guys. What are you going to do? He's putting up all, everyone, no matter what, everyone in the movie is being put in a situation to make mm-hmm. choices. Yeah. yeah. And the problem uh, with Gotham City is that Gotham is corrupt. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a terrible city. But that's what Joker wants to show everybody. Yes. And he wants to prove. He wants to prove that everyone mm-hmm. is bad, that everyone can be corrupt. And that's exactly what Batman's fighting. He's fighting for the soul of Gotham yes. City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and we've been talking about the madness and the anarchy and the chaos. But if you look at what the Joker does, it's a very mm-hmm. logical yeah, approach. Very yeah, very organized. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Jessica, you were saying that there are times where we look at the story of Batman and, you know, it's this vigilante. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but, but we're why okay with it. Exactly. Mm. Why, why does he get to break the law? Yeah. Right. I mean, and the exactly. story explicitly goes over this because there are copycat Batmans running around and Batman's like, don't help me. Why are you doing this? And he's like, well, what, what makes you different from us? One of the yeah. Batman says. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so it, it's, it draws this uh, sense of escalation mm-hmm. because everything that gets tossed into the middle of a story brings a counteraction. So you have, I remember at the end of Batman Begins when they show off the Joker mm-hmm. card, uh, Gordon and Batman are having a discussion of, you know, what about escalation? What do you mean escalation? Well, we buy Kevlar, you know, mm. Kevlar jackets. They buy bullet piercing round, you know, and you're dressed up like a bat. And look at this guy. He goes by a call yes. Joker. Everything that get that is done in the story, there's a counter action and it escalates up and mm-hmm. up. Okay, that's funny because I'm, I'm actually going to jump a little bit and I'm crossing the streams. But in... Captain America Civil War, um, Jarvis talks about that very thing, how there's for every um, for every time they've done something, there's always been a reaction to that. Like, hey, you become Iron Man, and now someone else is going wants to be that too, and they build the suit. So every time there's a new player to the board, somebody else comes on board too, and he causes a negative reaction. And that's the same thing that, you know, that you're talking about. You know, there's going to be always going to be something if you – if, if there was another character that Batman had, then somebody else is going to come along mm-hmm. the way too. So yes, that is very true. Uh, in the case of Batman, Batman is breaking the law because he wants to bring justice and order to the city that he loves. But the Joker is trying to show him, you're not bringing justice and order. Mm-hmm. You're bringing chaos. You are a freak just like mm-hmm. me. He even says that. Uh, and he says it right to him in the interrogation mm-hmm. scene. Uh, don't don't talk like one of them. And he points at the cops. Don't talk like one of them. You're oh, not. If you want yes. to be. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. But when they don't, they'll cast you out. Like a leper. You see, their morals, their code, it's a bad joke. Dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. And it's that moment where I think as an audience, we kind of at least realize, oh, wow, he's actually making a lot of sense. Yeah. It, it's not just some rambling of a dumb Right, he's not a lunatic. Like that. No, he, he, his methods are, are kind of mad, but it's all in logical order for him, at least. Now, he's not the only person in this movie that we have to at least keep our eye on um, because we also have Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent is a new Mm -hmm. player in this movie. Uh, He was not in Batman Begins. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, we do see him. He is the district attorney. He is, I believe in Harvey Dent. And there's that sense of this is the guy that's going to save Gotham. Mm -hmm. Uh, Legally clean up the streets. Exactly. Batman's on one side. He is illegally cleaning up the streets. And then you have the Joker who's trying to cause chaos. And right there in the middle is Harvey Dent trying to do everything legally to put this city back in Mm -hmm. order but i think uh jessica you were saying this is that um yes harvey dank does go by the coin and he does go by the name Mm two-face but i think the coin really plays into the whole philosophy of batman joker and harvey dent together Mm -hmm. sure for sure they are you know opposites but you know at the end of the day they're two sides of the same coin they're never going to be on the same side they are like you know, opposite ends of a magnet. They are drawn to each other, but diametrically opposed. Um, you know, Two-Face, you know, the name itself is is calling attention to that internal struggle within that one character. And 
reflects a decision that was made on Harvey Dent's part to follow, you know, that strict rule of we're going to leave this to chance Mm. Um, Mm. because he wasn't leaving it to chance before. No, he made his own luck. He made his own luck. Each side was the same side. And he said, heads, I do this, tails, I do that. It was never going to fall on tails. Yeah. No, he always had control. He always had control of the situation and his, you know, being pushed pushed in that direction toward malice was him finally getting some conviction, some gumption so that he can make that final decision to leave it to chance. Well, that's that, that's Joker's whole thing. He's like, yeah. every, everyone has plans. He mm-hmm. goes, I don't have plans. He's trying to disrupt everyone's plan. He's have, you know, everyone, but everything's in order and everything's working right. Everyone's good. As soon as you t- add a little chaos to that order, everyone loses their mind. Mm-hmm. You know, well, the talk- Joker says, do I really look like a guy with a plan? Yeah. Yeah, that whole and, scene. And right there, that's just a form of manipulation. It is a form of manipulation. Oh, yeah. For sure. But I think that he has a point because it's all about perception. Yeah. And so the public perceives someone like Mm -hmm. Harvey Dent as that white knight, the knight in shining armor, the guy who's going to save everything. But there is that side to him, that dark side to him that we get glimpses of. And it's not until he finally loses something valuable and Mm -hmm. important to him that we finally see him tip the scales Mm -hmm. the other way, which is uh, I think it's it's a great character to have in this movie to show what can happen if Batman has a rule. He has one rule. What would happen if Batman decides to break that rule or if the Joker was a little more of a sympathetic type of character could he lean closer to the middle like Harvey Dent and it's it's very interesting to have that character in this movie because it is showing both sides and how one person depending on their circumstances mm-hmm. can fall to one side or the other mm-hmm. and so like we got Batman Batman is strong to his conviction I want to save Gotham Joker I want to destroy Gotham and right there in the middle Harvey Dent and we see what happens at the what's end. That, what's that foreshadowing line that Harvey Dent says about him becoming, or the person becomes the villain? Right. Uh, you either die your hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Wah, yeah. wah. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, the other it, thing visually that drives home the point of there's two sides to every, you know, issue or, or whatever is that there's a lot of mirrors and reflective shots throughout the film which is gorgeous right like it's it's nice to look at for sure but it just it reinforces that idea that we're looking at the same thing Mm -hmm. just one is up and one is down one is left and one is right like you know yeah yeah it's it's so much symbolism in Mm -hmm. a movie that uh, on the surface it's it's a great action movie but diving into it you really start to see you know a reflection of how people can Mm -hmm. be being put under certain situation yeah Yeah, there is a thin line between order Mm -hmm. and chaos i think it's funny that we haven't even really talked about like the action sequences or the technology about the film, which there was good action sequence, cool technology that we saw, but that's it, like, that's cool and all, but the, it's, I mean, the story of this movie and the themes it tells to me is the, the best parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I think Jessica, you, you talked about that too. You're talking about how, you know, you're, what, what I'm going to watch this movie. What am I, what cool new thing am I going to see? Yeah. And um, I even told Rico, I think, I think he used this grappling gun like once to repel himself up. In the whole movie, <laughs> and I was just kind of like, like that's so weird to me. Like, I'm seeing the band like use at least three or four times in the movie, and just like one time, that's all. But who? <laughs> but it didn't matter. Who cared? Because mm-hmm. you're so in the, this story, just has you. You're just like, I don't care what happens. This is. I just want to see how this story keeps unfolding more yeah. than anything. Now, this movie is ten years old <laughs> already. Uh, time just flies. Wow. Now. Does does all of it hold up? Are there things in the movie that may, are you know that don't really hold up, or that are you look back and like, yeah, that doesn't really work? Well, Maggie now. Gyllenhaal, number one, mm. <laughs> number two. Okay, besides an actor, <laughs> no, no, I, I, that's that's a perfectly valid point okay. because um, Katie Holmes was in Batman Begins. She did play Rachel Dawes. Uh, and then, due to a scheduling conflict, could not do the sequel uh, to yeah. the movie, so she couldn't be in the Dark Knight. So it, uh, what's it called? The studio was panicked because they needed to start filming, and so they needed to get someone right away. Yeah. 
And so some names popped up. Um, one of them in- was included was uh, Rachel McAdams. It would have been so much better. Which I, oh. I, I thought would have been amazing. But, um, you know, there was too many complications. And Maggie Gyllenhaal happened to be available uh, to be able to do the actual performance. Now, her acting's not bad. I'm, I'm going to sit here and say her acting's not bad. But No, just think... it's just that it makes the movie makes a point of saying that she is beautiful. Right. And... It's no offense. A little no tough offense, to say, yeah. But when you're comparing it to Katie Holmes, Katie Holmes, Holmes, even, yeah, yeah, it, it's a stark mm-hmm. difference. It's a different. Um, anything else from the movie, maybe that didn't quite hold up or didn't quite. Um, now that we've looked back on it, think uh, it doesn't really quite work. I think Jessica, you were going to say a second. Oh man, let me think. Um, I think that the sonar technology that they were using at the very end of the movie to see all of Gotham basically mm-hmm. was unbelievable. Like <laughs> couldn't I can't believe it. I think I turned into one of you and said bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, I well, totally agree. I yeah. personally think that the movie and I don't know what it is about comic book movies because I think the majority have this thing when it gets to that third act there's always something that like throws a little kink into the armor of the movie and it just it just doesn't sit well and that's one of them uh i think uh that's a comic book movie i mean that's they're always gonna have stuff like that that just doesn't make it that's like this is not believable but it's a comic fantasy like this the, one, uh, but this one doesn't make sense because it's like this whole time it's been like this hyper realism and then mm-hmm. you get through yeah. this, and I was like, I don't know if that technology... He would... conveniently can see all of Gotham, and he can see exactly he... what's inside that building where the and Joker did... is like... And, and Lucius wasn't involved with it. So to me, I was like, then who helped make this? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if you said that Lucius made this because he actually clearly did that technology, are you telling me you did this by yourself? I mean, mm-hmm. Lucius did, uh, you know, put it on the phone. I think what Bruce yeah. did was, you know, expand it. Um, yeah, I, I, it's not one of my favorite moments of that movie. I think it's just a little too convoluted and a little too convenient as well. Yeah, uh, exactly. to be able to spy on everyone in the city, you know. So that's one of the things. That I have I'm... one more thing that yeah. I initially, when we were re- rewatching the movie, was like, "Oh, that's dumb," but then it all kind of came together, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's smart." Was Batman at the beginning of the movie gets attacked by a dog, and he sustains injuries and so he revises his suit to be more sleek and it has plates of armor that are now separated from each other and i think it was alfred said um you know this is stronger it's gonna protect you against dogs and bullets but now you're more vulnerable to knife attacks and And gunfire yeah exactly and i was like that is hilarious yeah lucius was saying it right and so that's funny because the Joker's favorite weapon is a knife. Knife. Yes. Oh. Yeah. And uh, he, and he takes. So he in takes trying, a so let me talk. So he's trying to make himself stronger, and in the end, it's to nothing because the Joker is so evenly matched with him that even when he's trying to make himself stronger, it's a weakness. Yes. To the toward the Joker's attacks. Well, he says, "I love what he says when they're doing the interrogation scene." Um, he he was saying like what you're doing to me like because he basically all of a sudden he flipped the the situation where he starts off by slamming his head on the table he's like why would you do that and they have the whole conversation then he reveals that oh you know how you can get Rachel and 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 uh, and um Harvey Harvey and all of a sudden like wait what you have my people like his Batman just flips and he starts like punching the crap out of him. Like what you're doing doesn't work on me. Mm-hmm. You can, I want you, you literally to kill have me. nothing. You have nothing, nothing on me. Nothing, nothing, nothing to do. threaten me with. Yeah. But, but all of a sudden now Batman's fear because he's having his fear of losing Rachel. And I was like, Oh shoot. Yeah. I think there's also, yeah, I think there's a commentary here on pride comes before the fall. And Batman had a lot of pride. At the beginning of the movie, especially when he says mm. criminals are not complicated. Yeah, that's one moment. And Batman, um, Batman has no right. He uh, know your know your weaknesses. Uh, Ma- uh, what's his name? Uh, Alfred warns him. Mm-hmm. Know your limits, Master Wayne. Yeah, Batman and has Batman no has no limits. Exactly. Well, you do. Yeah. So and you know it it takes so much for him to finally learn the lesson. And yeah, there's a pride. Like, I'm Batman. Look at what I've been doing for, mm-hmm. you know, 
However I think long. he thinks that he's invincible as Batman. And this yeah. is a lesson. Yeah. yeah. This is definitely a lesson to him that you're not invincible. You need help. You're, you're can't work alone. Like you think you can. Um, and you're not as strong as you think you are. Like you're, this is all just flies in the face, right? Of Batman thinks he can and can't do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I will say that uh, does hold up. And I think, uh, in the moments that it's used, it's just amazing. Is that uh, Nolan, Christopher Nolan, decides to use IMAX for this movie? Daniel, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. And the moments that are shot in IMAX, you see it because uh, if you have the Blu ray or if you saw it in IMAX theaters, the screen just blows up to yeah. the size of the IMAX screen. And it just looks amazing, pristine. All the colors are rich. And it's really helped lead the IMAX revolution that we're in right now that almost every major blockbuster is trying to film in IMAX and do stuff in IMAX because Nolan was the first one that really wanted to take a chance and like film a blockbuster in IMAX yes. and what he could. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I can't remember. Was there any other movie before this one that actual shot IMAX? Um, not any like major motion pictures. Most that's, of the time, that's what I, I meant. Yeah, IMAX cameras have been used for, uh, you know, like uh, animal features, like going underwater or uh, things like that, but never on the scale of a movie production. Okay. So I think that's, that was a big thing that came from that. So I know that other movies like upconverted to IMAX but not actually but didn't actually use IMAX cameras. Oh yeah. But no. I think this was the first one to actually use cameras on the set. Exactly. Um, and apparently they were like super loud apparently. Huh. So they couldn't they couldn't film like those one on one scenes like uh people having a conversation really. No. They couldn't they right. couldn't film they couldn't use the, so You'll see a lot of that in the movie, like regular scenes where people are talking back and forth. Uh, it's just regular cameras, but the actual action are with the IMAX cameras because they were so loud, apparently, that you couldn't use them, mm-hmm. which was pretty funny. Well, um, now, we, now we come back, it's 10 years later, and we hit, we finally get our first movie in full IMAX with Infinity War. And I just, yeah. it, definitely, this was the start of, you know, something huge, definitely. Yeah, in IMAX. superhero to superhero. Alright, so we've gotten through the things that didn't work. Now let's talk about some stuff that we really enjoyed in this movie. With 10 years of just looking back, there's a lot of things that people remember from this movie. Uh, Let's start off with what are some of your favorite lines in this movie? I'll start with Jessica. What are some of your favorite lines from this movie? Memorable lines. Hands down, it has to be Alfred's whole diatribe on that African tribe where mm. he was working for the local government and they were trying to buy the loyalty of local tribe leaders by bribing them with precious stones. That whole thing was like, I thought it was beautiful and compelling. Um, and he, he, it's funny that Alfred sees exactly who the Joker is immediately. Mm. And it takes Batman the whole movie <laughs> and okay. so many deaths to understand what Alfred already knew. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why still? Well, because he thought it was good sport. Because some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn like damn yes that's one of my favorite that's my yeah that's my (laughs) favorite favorite scene maybe but favorite lines definitely uh daniel uh any lines that come to mind that are some of your favorite (laughs) well that one that's definitely one of them but i do have a funny when he's when he walks into the room and they're all having their meeting and they get, to, they get to the point, and they're like, what What can we do? And he goes, it's simple. Kill the Batman. And they're like, oh, <laughs> sure. Why, why have you done it by now? He's like, 
If you're good at something, never do it for free. (laughs) Yes. If you're good at something, never do it for free. That is is, amazing. I I love that. That That, That's so smart. Oh, it's a very good line. Very good line. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we already talked about it. I think really captures the entire aspect of the movie. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. That's a great line. I I really love it. But my one of my favorites is near the end of the movie. It's uh after Batman has told Gordon I can be I can be those things. <laughs> I can be the one. So when he's running yeah, off I knew you that, were saying that, that entire speech this. at the end that Gordon the uh, voiceover yeah, the voiceover of when Batman's running and why do we have to chase him? Because he's the hero Gotham deserves. But not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. Because he's not our hero. That entire sequence, I think, and the the scenes are just well said, well delivered. Um, just in general, I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other lines? Obviously, why so serious? I think is why a so serious line. is very good. And I thought I took it for granted the first time I saw it, and then it blew up. Everyone loved it, and I was like, "Well, that's overrated." But now that I watch it again, I'm like, "Okay, no, but that's really, really good." That whole thing was <laughs> fabulous. Um, I like the Joker's line where he says, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Mm. Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, 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 no. You complete me. And he's like, you <laughs> yes. complete me. It's so good. That, when the Just, interrogation, that's, yeah. that's a nice callback to uh, Jerry Maguire. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yes. Which is which is fantastic. So if Jerry Maguire exists in this universe, <laughs> let's not get into that yeah. uh, rabbit hole. Well, Rico, yeah. you, you said that didn't, didn't Heath do a lot of improv- improvisation throughout the movie? Yeah, there were a lot of moments that he improvised, so that could be one of them. I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head which moments were improvised, but some of the ones that seem kind of obvious are that one. Uh, there's the one where... Uh, one of the mob dealers when he's like hey let's not blow this out of proportion yeah <laughs> and he has all the bombs you think you can steal from us and get away with it and like immediately it's like yeah <laughs> like those those little things i think he like uh, quickly <laughs> picked up um uh, yeah i think uh, there's so many good lines throughout the movie mm-hmm. that uh like jessica was saying you kind of take for granted uh some of the lines one one line that kind of sticks out uh, is when Harvey is at his press conference and he mentions the night is dark is just before the dawn yeah. and the dawn is coming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a well-delivered line and a very good line in this movie. And now, bittersweet, bittersweet. <laughs> bittersweet. Dang. Now, what are, some of, what are some of your favorite scenes? And I'll start with Danny on this one. Uh, some of your favorite scenes in the movie. Right off the bat for me, definitely the opening sequence the whole heist how they just throw you into it mm, yeah that, that whole sequence is fantastic um so mm-hmm. one of my favorite scenes is honestly the interrogation with oh, uh, yes. Bat- batman and joker because you, you, batman's thinking like just like i said earlier he has you know he has this pride right i'm batman i'm gonna do whatever i can i'm gonna mm-hmm. do whatever i want you're gonna say whatever i want and he and he does starts off with like you know, I'm gonna punch you in the punches into the table and he does all this and he hits his hand. He's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> and then he starts flipping it little by little by little. And then he gets to the point like you're nothing you're gonna do to me is gonna is gonna work. You know, you can punch me out. You know, I think he he was just like kill me. I want to see you do and kill me. Like he's trying to get him to break his one rule. Uh, yeah, I said. I think he even says that. Yes, he does. Yeah. Gonna, he does. If you want to know, you got to break your rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Batman says, "I'm considering it." Yeah. Uh, so, uh, funny, a uh, fun little fact is that when Batman is punching the Joker in that moment, that is actually Bale really punching Heath Ledger no. in the face. Heath Ledger actually told them, "I want you to actually punch me in these scenes. Like, don't don't hold back. Just actually punch me." What? Yeah, and. Uh, 
he made actual contact. That's crazy. During those scenes, and Heath Ledger just laughing it up somehow. I don't, I don't know how he did. I don't know how uh, he it, would do it's, that. It's a master performance, that's seriously. Some, that's some yeah. crazy uh, stuff Jessica, right there. <laughs> I know, uh, Jessica. Uh, what are some of your uh, favorite scenes or moments? To be? Um, I think it would have to be. I love that opening sequence. I remember. I definitely remember watching that in theaters for the first time. And when the bus pulls out into that line of school buses, I was like, "Oh my god! Holy shit! Oh my god!" It's just like, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, on the second watch, so I would say that it's when Batman saves the Joker at the end of the movie, and he's oh. like hanging mm. upside oh, down. He's falling. Yeah. Yeah. But then he's hanging Ooh, and kind one. of like saying you think i would let the soul i would wager the soul of gotham you know in a you think i would in risk it in a fight. fist fight this with fight. you mm. and it's really yeah, that... poignant what he says and how he's saying it too he's just hanging upside down he's lost technically but has he has he really lost i think and then he says i think we'll be doing this forever which is such a uh, poetic but tragic line yeah yeah, um, because who knows what we would have gotten? Yeah, who knows what we would have gotten had he lived and been able to make a sequel? Like what? What direction could they have gone in with that character? But to go uh, a little deeper, you know, I think that he's still messing with Batman and his psyche and what he's learned through the Joker and all his machinations. It was, it's beautiful what we see, to like, think in the Dark that. Rises. Well, it's. Yeah, for sure that. But it's beautiful to also think that the Joker is so... He'll never die in in Batman's life, in his, in his learning process. He's like a living, breathing threat that's still active and, you know, menacing. Because it lives inside his mind Because it lives now. inside his mind now, yeah. I would say that the philosophy is hmm. what's going to stay with him forever, even if... You know, whatever happens to the Joker, never come. He never comes back around to to actively bother uh, Batman. Yes. That's funny that you said that because I'm kind of. Uh, I mentioned this to Rigo just asking about the Batman Asylum games. I'm gonna sorry if anybody's never played the games, but spoiler alert. Um, in the third game, at one point, Joker's gone. At this point, he's 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 dead. Um, but something happened to Batman before in the last in the second game where he basically gets like this Joker. A gas serum like poison almost like a mixture with the poison gas from Venom. um what's his name bane and him got mixed up and it started messing with batman in the third game and pretty much he's being haunted by joker psyche like throughout the whole game like every time you think you're good he just shows up and you're just like what the heck man this guy doesn't leave you alone and i thought that when you had said that i was thinking about that very moments in the game just when you think about to go do something joker just like starts poking at him like, ha you think you're going to win? You think you're going to do this? And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm with you the whole time. And he's like, get out of my head. And you're just like, he's dealing with that the entire game. The scenes that you guys have mentioned, I really enjoy. The heist at the beginning is fantastic. You know, the Joker and Batman in the interrogation scene. One moment that I think was really great is the truck flip scene. Hmm. I think that we've gotten so used to in nowadays that all these big explosions and big CGI thing that a moment like that can kind of like for a moment, take your breath, like, like, Mm -hmm. Whoa, like Mm -hmm. is just amazing. I think that is fantastic. I think Joker's first like true interaction with people, which is when he, you know, barges in on the mobster Mm -hmm. meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we finally get to see Heath Ledger's performance finally magic at that moment. <laughs> oh my goodness! When I saw that yeah. the first time, the entire audience just like gasped because we're going there. Like it that's was, a yeah, we're going there. <laughs> it's crazy, but uh, yeah, those were just a couple that I wanted to mention. Uh, you guys already touched on one of my favorites. My favorite is the interrogation scene. Finally, seeing Batman and Joker together, uh, back and forth, seeing the their ideology you know face to face mm-hmm. and seeing you know how they respond to each other now the dark knight is christopher nolan's fifth motion picture that he released um going in order in uh it was memento insomnia batman begins the prestige and then the dark knight Ooh. uh so 
was a ooh. Because I forgot he did the Prestige. Oh yes, that's that a that's movie. a very good Which movie. Is so yes. good, yes, yeah. It is. Which uh, actually brings me to this question: Is The Dark Knight the best Christopher Nolan movie? Well, what um, else has he done? Okay, so those are the first five. Then there was Inception, The, oh, the Dark Knight right. Rises, yep. Interstellar, and Dunk. <gasps> oh, God, that's so difficult. That's difficult. That's hard to compare because these movies are so different, too. They're different, yeah. There, there's a big difference. I, like, in, in my mind, I would say that the only movie that I would put it with The Dark Knight is Inception. Yes. I feel like Inception yeah. is the only one that can take the crown of being his best film. Um, that movie is something else. There's so much <laughs> to get into that movie. I don't even want to touch it yet yeah. right now because there's so much that can be done in that movie. But if, if you had to look at his filmography, I think it's those two unless someone's willing to put a third in the conversation, which well, it doesn't sound Dunkirk. like anyone is. Well, Dunkirk, Dunkirk actually did well at the Oscars here. Uh, winning a lot of technical awards and uh, really, I would say it's not rewatchable. There. Like that movie, no, is not rewatchable. I would never sit down and be like, "Oh, Dunkirk is on." I guess that's where my afternoon is going. Like it just would no. never stand up like that. How'd you exactly. Guys, how'd you feel about Interstellar? That's another one where it's too much of a mind fuck to <laughs> make me want to watch it again. And it's really long. And well, it's super long. It oh. is. I mean, it's one of those like I want to watch it again, and I and I have, but you have to like take a break for like maybe a couple of years, and then you watch it again. It's like, yeah. oh gosh, that was what just happened. And it's uh, sad because you know it's good, but it's not that good. Where you're like, oh my god, I can't, I can't not see it right now. It's a different kind of good because it just messes with your mind. It's just like, okay, yeah. my my head hurts. But Inception is really good. And so is Dark Knight. And yes. I would say the prestige is up there as well. The Although prestige, it's, it's, I think it's more forgettable than, yeah, it's more forgettable than the first two. I mean, you didn't remember that it was done by Nolan. Yeah. Well, so, so I didn't uh, know it was done by Nolan until that's, recently. It's crazy. Yeah. The, and, the prestige, Dark Knight and Inception, those are all in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the three movies back to back to back in his filmography. Wow. Uh, so, uh, something I will say about Nolan is that uh, he is great with set, like big, big moments in a movie. So like in The Dark Knight, the heist, the uh, the truck flip, the entire truck chase, pretty much. Mm -hmm. uh, in Inception, uh, there's the moment where Leo's character, Dom, is showing Ariadne how to create the world mm -hmm. that entire sequence the the hallway scene in inception yeah i think he's great at those big set pieces but when it comes to like hand-to-hand -hand combat and if you watch the dark knight you'll see he these quick cuts it's he is a terrible hand-to-hand -hand, like combat director it's like super close shots so you can't really tell that a guy's punching and the guy's going the other way it, it, it's not um... great if if you ever watch another movie with Nolan and he does anything with hand to hand combat, we'll pay attention it's, to it. Yeah. It's always like quick cuts. Like okay, it's an art. There's an art to it. There really is. There's lots of movies that make that same mistake, um, of not giving the action space to breathe. Yeah, that is true. Uh, now, I think the biggest question that I have, at least that I that I could come up with, is is this movie, The Dark Knight, the best comic book movie made? So anybody can answer? <laughs> anybody yeah. can answer on that one. Uh, go ahead, Daniel. Let's see what you got. It's not. It's not my favorite comic book movie. It's okay. no. It's number two, though. Well, what's your number one? Avengers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love how me and Jessica just kind of responded like, uh, okay. I so the thing about Avengers for me, it depends on what mood you're in. Yeah. Okay. Cause that's one. I could argue on a really good day that. The first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire is so good. Or, you know, I think someone said Spider-Man 2 is really good. I think Spider-Man 2 is very good uh, with uh, Dr. Is. Octopus. Me too. Uh, played by Alfred Molina. You know, on a good day, I could argue anything. But it depends on what mood you're in. If you're in for, you know, it's dark. No no pun intended. It's dark. It's moody. It's um, make, It doesn't leave you with a good feeling. Like no. other comic book movies do. It ends on a sad note. It, or it does. really does, yeah. 
It does. One thing I will say, because I wanted to think about some other comic book movies that get thrown into the conversation, usually. For me, Avengers, I think, is very good and exciting. But for me, I hate the way that movie is filmed. Mm. Uh, It just feels like it was a movie that's filmed for the purpose of placing it on Netflix. (laughs) The way it's shot is just awful. Um, so that's something that just bothers me every time I see that movie. Thank goodness, like, the Russo brothers took over the Avengers series uh, just to get a more cinematic palette on there. Black Panther, I think, would be maybe a worthy contender. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know yet. I need some time. Like, it's yeah, it, it's Black- very – it's recency bias, I would I, say. I most like likely. it right now. i got to give it literally a couple years go by and then I'll think. I think you can make a case for X-Men 2, X2, which I thought was very well done. Um, I don't really have anything bad to say about that movie, actually. It's one of the better – Actually, it's the best X-Men movie. Maybe X-Men First Class maybe no. has a moment. No, no there's problems with that movie, although there's yeah. some really good stuff. The last movie I can think of would be Richard Donner's Superman uh, from 1978 or Superman yeah. 2. I agree. Um, That's, one of my mm-hmm. favorite. That's one of my favorites. I would say that the fact that we're having this conversation just shows that everything does get compared to The Dark Knight. Um, sure. There's a reason why it's... It's, I guess, the it's placed on a pedestal. Yeah, and sure. I think for good reason. I think there's amazing acting throughout. I think it's well written, um, amazing set pieces, and the way it just dives into the themes like we were talking about. It really challenges comic book movies to be more than just punching and mm-hmm. explosions, and it, it really dives and leaves you wanting more. So, are there any final thoughts about the movie, The Dark Knight, anything in general, Jessica? I love Alfred. Maybe <laughs> we didn't I really talk Alfred that much about is, Alfred. I we didn't, but I, I will say that I really admire that character and his. Um, I think his mercy because <laughs> he does not deliver Rachel's letter to oh, yeah. Bruce Wayne at the end of Dark Knight, which basically said, "I love Harvey. I'm going to marry Harvey. I know I said that I would wait for you to be done with Batman, but you're never going to be finished." And you know. All these crazy things that would have just, I think, destroyed destroyed him more than he was already destroyed. Right. So yeah, that is true. It kind of mm-hmm. like kept, it helped Batman sort of keep a little bit of dignity or he was like, I can't, you know, never tell anyone she was going to leave Harvey for me. She was going to wait for me, he said. Yeah. And it's just very sad. He was like, yeah, yeah, she mm. was. And you just yeah. see him silently take the, the letter off the tray. <laughs> yeah, like, you don't you don't need this anymore. But yeah, she was going to wait for you. Yeah. And that's very fatherly. You don't see mm. a lot of these parental figures except for Morgan Freeman and Alfred in the Batman movies. Um, and it was very touching. Because I think right there at that moment, that would have just devastated him even more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he knew as a, as a parental figure, something he hasn't had. I mean, Alfred's... You pretty know, much raised him, right? Pretty much raised him. Almost his father. I'm, I'm, not to take away from the Waynes, but I mean, Alfred's always been there for him. So yep. uh, he knows him better than anyone. Um, Danny, any final thoughts on the movie? I felt like the movie had a cool callback to Batman Returns when oh. when uh, the scene there in Tokyo and he's uh, uh, getting ready to jump off the building and he opens up the wings and takes off. I immediately thought about the scene in Batman Returns where he's the same thing and takes off. So I don't know if that was or not, but I took it as it was and I was like, that was awesome. That was an entire scene we didn't even talk about. This was the first time in any movie and in, I believe, like most of the comics that he had left the Gotham City limits. Mm. Uh, and he was in Hong Kong, of all places. I thought that was a pretty good set piece throughout the Skyhook scene. Um, that's something that we didn't even talk about. There's so much in this movie that stuff like that just gets left. Thank you for the uh, correction. Well, <laughs> I, I, so, I look like Tokyo to me. I was like, I'm not Hong Kong. Sorry. No, it was definitely Hong Kong for sure. Um, so with that, I want to thank both Jessica and Danny for coming on this special rewind episode, uh, talking about what has uh, made an impact on pop culture as it is. Once again, Jessica, for joining. 
Yep, good to be here. And once again, thank you again, uh, Danny, for coming on to the show. Yes, yeah, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. And that was the review, better yet, the recap for The Dark Knight on this special rewind episode of the Always the Critic pod. If this was your first time listening to the show or you have been listening for the past few episodes, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If you're on social media and want to stay up to date when we post our episodes, follow us at Always Critic Pod. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And more on the side note, you can find me, Rico Alberison, on Letterboxd, the social media platform for movie lovers. I have a list going for 2018, the movies ranked from best to worst, so check that out. You can follow me there, at RicoA87. Thank you for listening to this episode. Catch us next week when we have a brand new episode of the Always the Critic podcast. <laughs>